Welcome everybody to another DSM Forum brunch. Today we're going to talk about hybrid closed loops and we have with us two very, very special guests. We have Yasmin Hopkins, who's going to give us the people with diabetes kind of side of it. And we have, of course, the most famous person in diabetes, Path Carr, with us, who's going to talk about everything to do with, you know, getting it out there and getting people able to use it. Um, so we're not going to do icebreaker today uh, because we've got too much to talk about. Usually we do an icebreaker with a funny question or something, but we're not going to do that today because we haven't got time because we know that you guys have got so, so many questions. Um, but firstly, what I'm going to do for those of people that haven't seen the draft consultation, just going to get Beth to kind of talk about, you know, what what does it what did it look like? What does it say? Why are we doing this talk today, really? <laughs> Beth. Yeah, so NICE obviously brought out the draft consultation. I think it was January, February, wasn't it? A couple, a couple of months now. Everything went a bit mental for that period of time at work. Um, so we know that it is a draft consultation document at the moment. So NICE, the National Institute of Clinical Excellence, their job is to kind of get a group of experts together, have a look at all of the evidence that we have got for hybrid closed looping and decide um, kind of where we're going to be able to use that in our own clinical practice. So the draft um, consultation came out, which we have to specify it is a draft. So we were busy telling patients that, yes, this is out, but it doesn't necessarily mean very much at the moment. It kind of was written with a few um, kind of hints at where we might be able to use this with our patients for people then to be able to write comments on. So anyone could have written a comment. If you're a healthcare professional um, or people with diabetes, you could have all read it, write, written a comment and then sent that back to NICE. So where we are at the moment, that is now closed, if I'm right, Barbara. Um, and so it's gone back now to the group who were, who are going to be writing the um, NICE TA for it so that they can review all of those comments and then find out if they want to add anything or amend anything or you know what actually it will be when it is then published so we're going to be waiting a little bit um longer for the actual documents come which will then obviously be implemented down through all the various levels and systems so hopefully that explains where we were yeah. um, so i think we're going to go to yasmin uh who's going to explain actually what hybrid closing is for those that are not very well known or don't know very much about it um but yeah take over Yasmin yeah so thank you so much firstly DSN group um for giving us the platform as patients to talk about it uh it's really well appreciated um so I'm just gonna start off a bit before uh, what when I had closed loop uh, I was on MDI for about 15 years uh came on to an insulin pump kind of straight normal insulin pump um which was fantastic however um as we all know this disease is completely individualized and i personally suffered really badly with uh sickness uh stress um mental health problems and my blood sugars therefore reacted in completely erratic ways uh, lots and lots of highs um so my hba1c was uh, above 100 so I'm talking new money uh, was above 100 um, I then thankfully thank you NHS England got the CGM as we all did um, and I got it down to 76 78 which is the lowest in 17 years of having diabetes I've actually managed to get my HbA1c now through some of my own issues yes I put my hands up for the accountability we all know how hard diabetes is but some of these moments was, I was really trying. Um, I'm so fortunate to have such an amazing support network in my family and my partner and my brother and my parents, but whatever I did. And it's the same for so many of us type ones out there. So I was fortunate enough to then be offered the trial on closed loop. Um, what this actually means for me and what the difference is, is that my real time, it's on this arm, my real time CGM um, speaks to my insulin pump. So as soon as my blood sugars start to rise, it actually just automatically corrects it. Um, and vice versa, when my blood sugars start to go low, it shuts off the insulin. Uh, and that's the closed loop part of it. And I think there's a big kind of uproar, kind of um, challenge around that, that a lot of people are saying artificial pancreas. And it's still not because I have to input the amount of carbs I eat. So that's one of your first kind of definite light bulb moments is you have to know how to carb count. And this is so precise. Um, I found that 
uh, I'm a typical type one. I'm going to say there's a lot of us out there. I go, yeah, piece of bread, sandwich, 30 grams. But as we all know, different ones. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that happened. Um, so yeah, a bit of retraining there. But I do still have to enter my carbohydrates every time I eat. And then, like I say, my particular system, when it rises above 10, I get an alarm. And when it gets to about 12, that's when it starts doing like the real kind of corrections. Um, but it will also just increase my background gradually or decrease. But like I say, I really suffer with highs more than lows. So now it makes it quite hard for me to go into those kind of really erroneous highs where you're like, what is happening? I haven't done anything. Um, those moments where you feel as if you want to scream and shout and say, why does my body hate me? Um, those moments don't really happen anymore. And the same with the lows, to be honest, I, don't, I still have hypos, don't get me wrong, I still have hypos, but they're not severe at all. And it's such a good feeling because of the way we already know that pumps tend to make us a bit more kind of sensitive to hypo symptoms. And I would say 100%, as soon as I'm hitting four, shaky, sweaty, um, my main symptoms. So that's what the closed loop system is to me. It's that helping hand, it's that guide in the way that I don't want to scream and shout and how it hates my own body anymore so yeah wow so it just kind of takes away a lot of that burden that you were facing with, with diabetes trying to manage 24 7 so I don't think people really understand what is involved do they the people that don't live with type 1 diabetes you know get up in the morning check your blood sugar do your breakfast check your blood sugar go and drive yeah. a car check your blood sugar have food <laughs> check your blood sugar yeah somewhere check your blood sugar you know it's just well like, there's like a there's a statistic yeah. that type ones make 180 health related decisions a day now that's mm. obviously also an average like as i mentioned and everything i say is completely individualized to me and i hope that i can speak on behalf of others as well but 180 extra decisions now those 180 decisions also come with stress even excitement and then that then affects that blood sugar. <laughs> so then that goes further. So the pump just takes away from these firefighting, what I call firefighting decisions. Yeah. Um, and lays down more of a basis to actually get on with your life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely take away some of that mental. One of the main questions actually from DSNs when we were planning on this and asking questions was, you know, and you kind of mentioned it when you were first talking, is the whole carbohydrate counting education side of it. Do you think that's definitely need, right? Because a lot of people have been on thinking, you know, we'll just give all of these systems to you and you're just yet left to crack on with it. And is it is that doable? Or do you think the education carbohydrate counting is really important to be able to use the system properly? Do you think, you know, DSN saying, no, you need to go on a course before you can have it. Is that okay? Is Do you agree with that? Do you think, no, we should just get the system and, and you could kind of crack on with it? See, it is tough. Because like I say, everyone's completely individualized, but from my own experience and what I've heard of others' experience is that education is so important, not only for the carb counting, but it's important to note that carb counting causes now, you've got things online, plethora of, so I kind of retrained myself online, but then I'm confident enough to do that. Now I understand there's going to be other people with diabetes that are not confident to do that. So I think it's gonna be definitely, um, a suggestion that education has to be there, particularly around carb counting. DSNs, you guys are already stretched as it is. However, realistically, to get the most out of this, you're going to have to spend that little bit of time doing that. But then that's going to release the time in the long run because those patients aren't going to be coming to you every month, every six months. So it's the initial kind of jump. But what I would say as well that the that DSN in the education space are going to have to be aware of. And it's something that I struggled with and many others. I've had diabetes for 17 years. All of a sudden, you give a lot of the control over to technology. So I went through a three-month honeymoon, loved it, my life. I, I, oh, I did everything, couldn't care less. Um, and then all of a sudden, my blood would get to 12. And I was like, they're running at 12 for a bit too much longer than I'd like. And I'd override it. So there are the opportunities and lots of the systems to override it. So I'd add a correction there and then. And then I'd find it throw the whole thing off. It's 
going to be that's going to be I think a mission for the DSNs to handle is also that the kind of the mental support rather than actually the fundamentals of the carb counting education I think the DSNs teams are going to be more involved in that and that emotional well-being with it yeah, yeah. Definitely. got Tam, Tamsin clapping <laughs> got a hand I got loads of hands before I was like I was like oh where's my hand things right um <laughs> I think um, I was just going to say, you know, you, you touched on it there. And I think there's there's that thing is that, that actually, um, you know, with with hybrid closed loops and, and, and them taking a lot of the, um, the sort of responsibility in a sense of managing the, the diabetes um, is that where um, where do the nurses, you know, from a from a nurse point of view, where do do they fit into that really? Um, and that, you know, because you find that actually, you know, you're not making that many changes to the pump really, because the pump is doing a lot of that already. Um, by the time you look at something, the pump's already done it. And like you said, if you override it, you then end up having hypos because the pump's already done a lot of it, and it doesn't understand that you've just added an extra whatever units without any kind of um, you know carbs or whatever because you've overridden what it was doing um you know and i think like you said that probably actually you know our role it with um the the people with diabetes who have got hybrid closed loops may not be as much about dealing with the the algorithm side of things it's actually going to be dealing with the understanding that that you can't you know you have to let that pump do what it does really not to be you know micromanaging as much and that's really hard isn't it I think for people that have been micromanaging you know for a very long time you know I have type, type 1 diabetes and I'm, I'm on a hybrid closed loop system and you know I you know I have exactly the same feelings that you know you've probably had in the sense that um you know I'm not waking up in the night bolusing or treating hypos you know as much but actually sometimes I feel quite weird the fact that I haven't woken up in the night and I actually do think oh why did I not wake up in the night you know so actually it's going to be more about that supportive um you know enclosing nature of the SN really or, or diabetes consultant rather than actually going oh you need to increase this you need to decrease you need to do this with your um you know your carb ratios isn't it really rather than that side of things I think our role might evolve differently than how it's been up until this point mm -hmm. yeah, definitely. definitely and I think for the DSNs like I first mentioned is in in the short term and it, it may require some more time of yours but in the long time times you you nailed the head you nailed it on the head there is in the long term actually it's gonna be less not, work yeah, yeah you're not going to be doing those little increments um but I think it's really important to note and I was so fortunate to go to an event last week and I saw Dr Rose Stewart a diabetes psychologist and one of her mantras is I am not a pancreas because we all aim as type 1 diabetes to be a fake pancreas which is demoralizing but we also must recognize that the system is not a pancreas mm. And I think that's really important in that mantra to kind of say to yourself, and I'm not someone that's into mindfulness or anything like that, but that actually really came out to me um, in that way, because otherwise, like this system gives our community the chance to increase their morale, decrease burnout, um, longer kind of times without diabetes to stress um things like that and I can see there's a question about mental yeah, I was gonna health say, yeah there's a question. question you're probably answering that now <laughs> yeah and in, in from a diabetes perspective I kind of um I compartmentalize my mental health I had my diabetes mental health and then my personal mental health the closed loop has extinguished a lot of the kind of the troubles that we think um the menial little day kind of uh I've got to go out do I need to bring this do I need to bring that like just the whole packing a bag scenario um the closed loop I can have a little bit more flexibility I can go you know what it's gonna alarm at me it's gonna correct for me things like that um but I think one of the things as well is that I found I've had less alarms with this no <laughs> I love CGM I think it's fantastic what we've got access to but sometimes having 
those alarms go off 24 7 it can make you think I want to throw this thing at the wall and (laughs) it really does with this you still get those alarms but a reduced amount and to me that was a big thing as well um I always say People with diabetes are the best scientists and data analysts in the world because we constantly look at our sugars. And this has given us now the chance to just look at it. It's a snapshot and you say, right, okay, the pump's going to correct that. I can move on. Um, So yeah, 100% diabetes to stress. Not zero, but Brilliant. (laughs) So you would recommend this then to people? So uh, uh, would you say to all type ones? What do you think? No, I wouldn't. Um, no. <laughs> I would say possible injections. People, some people love them. We've got amazing new devices now in the injection space. If it works, don't fix it. <laughs> um, this- that's interesting because actually, you know, when you're in the social media bubble that all of us kind of are, yeah. you would have it believed that everybody is looping and DIY looping and pumping and all that kind of stuff. And actually, the majority of patients are using MDI, whether that will yeah. change, hopefully with all of this, these nice guidelines. But yeah, interesting. Most so that, patients they are MDI, aren't they? And most of them enjoy it as well. They like it because I get it. Some people, I, I had a pump at 16. I came off of it within six months because it was attached to me. Mm. And I get it. If you're doing MDI and your HbA1c and your mental health is, I'm never going to say good because diabetes, that is diabetes. But if you're coping, don't try and fix something. You're doing amazing what you're doing um so no I wouldn't recommend it for everyone also I wouldn't recommend closed loop straight from pens to closed loop I really would say you need that experience that middle ground of a a normal pump first that's my opinion because that's what I did and I found that to be a step a lot of the device companies do do that, but they don't They do not do it for long. They put you on the pump and then they give you two weeks before they set up the CGM with it. Is that long but, enough? I don't but know. some of them will go straight to it. So I think we probably should hear from Partha now. You've been yeah. sitting there very patiently, <laughs> yeah. Partha. Um, so what's what's your plan? What, do, what would you love to see? Everyone have a, a closed loop or what? what's the plan from NHS England? Well, let me... St- I mean, let me start by basically, first of all, talking about you all uh, before we go on to the business. Okay. Um, so I think, first of all, uh, you know, fantastic for the DSN Forum for organizing this. And you guys have gone from strength to strength. So that's amazing to see the leadership you guys are providing in the space. And these are very important things and, uh, you know, more power to your arms. So carry on doing the good work you're doing. And as I've always said, you know, you guys are the linchpin of what we do. And it will come out in the conversation. This closed loop is not going to happen without you guys driving it. It's not going to be a consultant. It's going to be your good self. So thank you very much for the leadership in this space. And then about Yasmin, um, you know, me and Yasmin have spoken a lot about, you know, what she's going through. And, you know, I've also noticed, you know, comments which are very positive towards Yasmin, not necessarily, not necessarily that as well. You've got all sides of it. I think always I say to people with type 1 diabetes, you know, people put yourself in the public space. And, but, you, you know, Yasmin doesn't, have to be the spokesperson for everybody but she is uh, going giving a a opinion a view and i think i would encourage more people to come and do what she's doing you know that's quite important so i again you know it's not easy to go in the public space and talk about it so that's good that's that's um so that's all all quite uh good so that was my starting bit now uh what do i want um well there are many less to this question i mean uh because what would i want i always I always uh, would answer this question first of all as a as a person, as a parent. Uh, you know, what would I what would I want if my child had type one diabetes? My children had it, and the answer is I would want them to I want them to have everything available, and then they can make the choice, right? And it could be a pen, it could be a sensor alone, it could be a connected system. I think that's what I want. It's not for me to impose anything. Now, then, as a clinician. I can see the benefit it brings, but as Yasmin said, I also have lots and lots of patients who know about artificial pancreas and not even remotely interested in it, right? Even at this stage, they're like, yeah, no, right? Yeah. And for them, there is a space of connected pens and stuff and all that is coming through and never forget that's going to be a huge number, you know? And Beth made the point about social media is a bubble, mm-hmm. you know? 
How many people do you see from a diverse background on social media talking about the type 1 diabetes? I can tell you the number. It's very, you can count it on your hand. Mm-hmm. So there is that. Um, and, you know, and also forget about ethnicity, even for deprivation. If you are worried about putting food on the table, you're not going to be on social media debating as to what technology you want to have. So there is all of that. And then as a policymaker, I think it's a question of how, I mean, unless you're living under a rock, you'll know the NHS is under massive threat not only from a from every angle money wise finances all of you know you know our budgets are being cut staff are being cut you know nurses doctors they're all out on strike due to obvious reasons etc so we have to skate that through um as we want to what do i what do i ideally want i ideally want everybody to have the choice so i think it should be on the table just like we managed to get that with you know do you want to prick your finger or do you not want to prick your finger that's the choice we have, right? In type 1 diabetes. We didn't have that five years ago. We have that now. And that's what I want to do. You know, do you want a, do you want a system that connects or do you not want a system rather than anything else? That's what we'd like to get to. So that, that's that's probably your answer to that one. Thank you. That's a good answer. <laughs> Lots of choice. Okay, you so we me, have... You know me, Amanda. My, <laughs> my, my buzzword is style over substance. So it's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, um, right, so we have lots and lots of questions because obviously we've been posting about this for weeks and obviously then we had to postpone it um, um, and now we're back again. So uh, we've got loads and loads of questions built up. Um, so we're going to start with a few. I'll get Beth to start and then we'll probably go around um, asking different questions from the forum. So we're going to start with these are questions from DSNs in our forum in our closed group. Beth. Yeah, so a lot, one of the kind of themes of it was, was the uh, TA, so the, the draft document, was it detailed enough? And we kind of alluded to that with Yasmin. Um, it kind of mentioned that education kind of had to be sort of done, but there was a bit bit more detail kind of wanted maybe from DSNs of, you know, should should that be specified as it has, it um, you know, they had to be done before they went on the hypercosy system? Or is it just that they've done it in the past? Do they have to have specific education? can it be online does it have to be face-to-face also the pump education so a lot of stuff about is it going to be more detailed and specific about education that people can access um before they are able to get quite closely so again it's a question i think it's in a draft state and that's the feedback which has been can you specify this can you nail it down and i think more of the specifications for systems will want to have understanding of every single word right you could take a seat back and say People are going on clues who should be offered education, just like we have the wording for pumps, right? But we know what happened with that. People interpreted it differently. Some people said, like, okay, we'll offer it to you, but if you're trained, if you feel comfortable, go on to it. Some people went like, if you don't turn up at my office and learn about education, I'm just not going to give you a pump. So I think it's about how people, I think people will always find a way to misinterpret. Uh, so we can try and tighten the wording as much as we want, but we, but that's what we're working with nice right now. One of the feedback is very much on the education side. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think legally we can make anything mandatory because there's no proof that you can, you have to make people go through an education. Uh, and you know, you, we've got loads of people out there who are very sappy. Do I want to make them go through an education? Probably not. If you already got people on pumps and a sensor, what, what education is it that I want to give them to tell them I'm just going to connect them together now? So there needs to be flexibility, but let's let's wait for the final draft to come out and that will be more more obvious there. Yeah, as we also had that with Libre, didn't we? People are still interpreting the, the Libre guidance as people have to go yeah. to an education. So yeah. yeah. And there's loads of stuff out there now anyway online, isn't there? You know, there's loads of YouTube videos, there's loads of stuff people can teach themselves anything now online. Um, absolutely. So, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, Vicky, do you want to do the next question? Yeah. So, um, there was also um, some comments in the forum about the HbA1c cutoff um, mm-hmm. of um, so it says around sort of sixty four, doesn't it? Um, and I think there were some concerns as to whether some people who are actually doing really, really well and trying really, really hard who have an HbA1c below that level would they feel that they kind of want to not artificially raise but cause you know their hba1c to become higher in order to kind of qualify for um hybrid closed loop so three things to that first of all the present pump criteria is 8.5 percent right mm. so even on that criteria there's about sixty thousand people we didn't give a pump to in the present nhs so i think let's take a back seat and forget 
So, you know, think about that for 13 years, we've had that on a legal mandate and we haven't done that or people haven't wanted it. So it's not as simple as that. Number two is that, um, let's say, for argument's sake, uh, everybody gets it. Would we start it on people who are at 7% or would we start it on people who are at 10%? You know, I think people need to understand is that even if we made it for everybody, we will have to have a batting order because mm -hmm. of the simple reason that we don't have the staff or mm -hmm. the capacity in the whole NHS to put all 250,000 people on a closed loop tomorrow. Okay. So my way of saying to everybody would be, it's a good step forward. That doesn't mean that that line will sit. What we want to do with NICE is collect further data and then extend it further, which is what we did with Libra, didn't we? You know, we had criteria. We ran the criteria for a year or two, and then we extended to everybody. So I think what we also need to be careful is that when people say, but I'm at 7.3%, why can't I get a loop? I get that. But there are truckloads of people at 9%. Who need much better care. So yes, you do, and everybody does, and we're working to get it to everybody. But even if by magic tomorrow everybody gets it, I can absolutely assure you that every department will need to have a batting order based on deprivation, based on need, based on clinical, you know, all of that will come into play. And higher HbA1c or or suboptimal diabetes control has to be out. That, that's what we do, right? Mm. That's what we always do. And I would ask any person with type 1 diabetes, and I can understand people saying, well, what about me? And I would say that absolutely, but in a finite NHS system, we have to look at it after our staff as well. I, I cannot go out as a national lead and say to staff, burn yourselves to the ground to give everybody everything right now. If I lose the staff, there is no closed loop happening. This is not like giving out flash glucose monitoring. And I, that's what I say to people. So have patience. You know, as I've always said to everybody, um, you know, we have a strategy which has worked really well. And the same will happen with closed loops as well. Yeah, I mean, quite a lot of the questions from the forum again were coming around that. <clears throat> will there be extra money? Will there be extra budgets for staff? Because, I mean, I am the only DSL in my area at the moment due to sick sickness and lots of other things. So, I mean, the idea of me doing all of this for 250, that obviously just for my area. But, yeah, is there going to be any thought to kind of budgets, money for extra staff? Yeah, or absolutely. So there is a budget impact test going on. There's a workforce implications going on. Should it be in every centre? Centres which are really struggling with staffing? I don't think it should. We can't start just saying to everybody, go for it, right? Should be, this is what we are working with the paediatric diabetes community, uh, the consultants, they are submitting us a plan about priorities, what their workforce needs are. Do we start to help the workforce by people already on pumps and connect it? So you have some starting points, but the pressure is lower than putting everybody on a closed loop. We have to be practical about it. We're not going to get everything right. But I think, you know, let's say, for example, again, I ask people to think, let's say my magic, I get some more funding for staff. Where is the staff? Yeah. Where, where are the trains? Exactly. Yes, We're always having to think outside the box. Exactly. So, so, and this is not something we can just, we need trained staff to deliver this. Even if we extend out in the community and ask people with type 1 diabetes to come and do it, even then. So, I think money is just not the answer. We can bring money. So, we need to be pragmatic as to how we deliver it. How many, how many can we feasibly deliver in year one, then year two, then year three? And all of this time will be spent in trying to recruit staff, training up other centers. Centers, you know, and all of you, the nurse colleagues that are there, you know very well, we can close our eyes and talk about 20 centers who will fly with this. And we can also talk about 20 centers who are going to go like, Jesus Christ, what now? Right? So we can't go on everybody at the same pace. So there has to be centers to begin with, supporting everybody else, doing the training across. So there's got to be a very structured way as to how we deliver this. So to everybody who raises the question, will there be a huge influx of workforce? I Well, first of all, do you need a huge influx of workforce? That's the question that is being asked. Uh, is it about consultant time? No, I don't think so necessarily. I think it's about dietetic time. I think it's about DSN time. Uh, it's about, But it's about then saying that we need to have our 
train DSNs doing these roles and we need to have other staff then to look after the inpatients and others. You know, we need to have a thinking process to how we do it. So it will happen. Don't worry, there's a structured plan. It will not make everybody happy, but it's not a job to make everybody happy. We'll get there. I think we had these concerns when Libra came out, didn't we? And we've kind of, we've got through that, you know, how much, how much percent of the country are now on some form of either Libra or CGM? Quite a lot. You know my saying about this whole (laughs) thing. I always use the phrase, tip of despair. You have to take it through somewhere and then you open it up and get more people to engage. It will happen. Libra has happened. CGM pregnancies happen. This will happen as well. But not everything instantly, instantaneously. Yeah. yeah, I think the slight difference is we've obviously had the pandemic, and so we're still dealing with a lot of. <laughs> or I'm definitely still dealing with the so Absolutely, and we know the problem there. People have missed yeah. out on the normal appointments, so we need to be careful as to what we are trying to do and overload the system. So yeah. Okay, um, so let's go to Tamsin next. Tamsin, do you want to see what other questions we had? Yeah, I mean, I think you, you probably touched um, on it, but, um, you know, perhaps what, um, you know, people with diabetes maybe don't um, kind of need to know in a, in a sense is that, you know, we have a body of people, don't we, in our areas, in our counties or whatever else like that, and that they have the the hands on the money. So although we may want to say, oh, yes, you can have a pump and a hybrid closed loop system, we are actually battling about people that are slightly higher up above us that have control um of that that money and um and it and obviously we know with Libra that it took quite a while for some of those CCGs as they were at the time and now ICVs to um you know agree to actually fund those those Libras. Um, you know, from from my perspective, you know, who, who's kind of knocking on their doors? Um, because if I'm I'm knocking from underneath, but if nobody's knocking from above, you know, you don't feel like you get very far. Um, you know, who's kind of like poking them really? So there's a fundamental difference between Libra and this. Uh, Libra came without any nice backing behind it. The nice backing has just come about eleven months ago, right? So that had no legal mandate. It was basically patient power, right? This is different. This has got a legal mandate on it. And there is a legal obligation for people to deliver. The question is, in what time frame we deliver, right? So if we suddenly go like, we'll, we'll give everybody a closed loop in three months, right? Well, that's just impractical and silly, right? But if we say, look, we can do this over three, five years, right? Gradually steady as she goes. I think systems also need to be given the opportunity to understand the cost. That's what we're doing, the budget impact test. What is the cost pressure on the budget? What is the cost effective price? These are all important. So there are two steps to it. One is, if you look at the NICE guideline, what does it say? It goes, it says, yeah, we agree with the science, but it needs to be a slightly cost effective price, right? That's the negotiation that's going on behind closed doors with us and industry and all that conversation going on. Can you get to the price? That's the first step. If we get them to that step, then we know that it's effective use of taxpayers' money, right? So we cross that bit. But you still have to spend a money, right? Even though it's cost-effective, you have to spend it now. So then there's what we do, which is called the budget impact test to see. So if we spread it, what is the cost? So you need to think about, for example, if somebody's on an existing pump and a sensor, Dexcom 1 or Libra, and they go to a closed loop, the total additional cost per year is only £1,000. That's all. That's it, give or take. But if you're starting from zero, they have, let's say they just have a sensor, then the cost price is very different because you're adding in the pump and everything else and the higher sensor. So there are many ways of looking at how you do cost pressure. So to your question, Tamsin, that's exactly what we're doing and which is what we're gonna say to the system. This is the expected cost, but we're gonna spread it over the years. And then we see how we go to try and make it through. And that's what happens. You do a budget impact test with anything, anything the NICE publishes with a TA. We go to finances and say, look, this is going to be it. We have to do this legally, but we're going to do it in a way that is not going to bust every banks that we can do. Here is a workforce requirement. So that's pretty much what we're wrapped in every day at the moment doing. So bear with us. Uh, you know, we, we want to do it in a very structured way um, rather than completely doing it haphazard. So that, that's the sort of uh, aim. I've worked with 
budget models before and things. Are you taking into consideration, for example, since I've been on a closed loop, I've had no hospital admissions. Um, I've decreased on GP appointments. I've decreased on secondary care appointments. Is that also being taken into um, example in those budget modeling? That's exactly what NICE have done. Yeah. To basically get us to the place. Because if NICE looked at the data and said, well, this all looks like fancy toys, but it's not really cost effective, they would have told us. Well, that's not what they've told us. They have said the science, the tech is fab. The yeah. cost of the device may be a little bit higher where we need it to be. So what they've said to us, you guys in NHS England, go and negotiate the price and then you're on. So they're all in the mix of exactly that. Perfect. Because obviously, as we know, 80% of the budget that's spent on pan diabetes, bearing in mind, is obviously on complications. I've re reduced my HbA1c from 100 to 50. I'm now, those risks of complications aren't zero, but they've decreased. So surely that can be taken into that cost impact. Yeah, and I think that's an important point because people then need to understand the lifetime benefit each individual does. Because people then say, well, it's why why is it that children and younger people are prioritized? It's not because we're being ageist. It's because that's how the budget impact tests work. And, you know, don't get me wrong. Everybody needs to get it and everybody will get it. And now let me clarify, that's not me saying that only children and young people are yeah. going to be a priority. 100% not. We're going to have two separate streams. One is peas, one is adults. So we need to understand that the budget impact test has got a bearing about lifetime gains as we go along. Thanks for that. That's quite a good segue to the next question that we've been asked, um, a bit of a two-part question. Uh, there was someone who posted a question, I think it was yesterday to us, about children actually paediatrics. So those that are started on closed looping as children, as they're then coming through transitioning into adult services, Will it be taken away from them because they then move to adult services? Will they get to keep it? How will that budget maybe work? And also, if we are looking at people in the adult services or paediatrics potentially, um, if they're not maybe using the looping system in the way it should, or they're not using it at all, or they're not getting on with it, or they're more distressed with all of the data and stuff in front of them, and we do decide to take it away, I don't like that term, but kind of take it away and go back to MDI, Will there be support or any guidance about doing that? And um, will it be in the TA about who to remove it from if we yeah. feel that that's beneficial? The, the TA won't do that. The TA is about the science and where it sits in and the guidance. Uh, and it shouldn't do that, right? I think this is where the clinical societies come into play. And that's why we're speaking to Diabetes Technology Network, et cetera. So as regards taking away, I think that's really dropped off over the last few years. It used to happen. You're on a pump and then you get it, oh, sorry about that. You can't have any more money, right? That's really calmed down nowadays with a lot of adult clinicians understanding. And I think what I've always said in many meetings where this has come up is that look, let's take a child who's had a corrective surgery done when they were seven, right? You're not going to go like, oh, well, you're 18 now. So like, I tell you what, right, let's take that away from you. And diabetes, that debate sort of goes around. You go like, ah, it's a tech. So it's a bit like saying there's a child, for whatever reason, is on a pacemaker, right? To keep them alive, a bit to make their heart rate absolutely fine. What are you going to do at 19? Do you want to let's take it off and see how you do? That's not how we play. So why is it different in diabetes? If they're using a technology which has really worked for them, you carry on, you know, yeah. and all this nonsense that people go on about. And Whenever I say this, these words, people go like, oh, Pastor, you do policy. What do you understand? I'd just like to mention that I do actually a full-time clinical job, probably longer than most other people around. So I understand budgets every day. So when people go like, oh, but it's the adult budget and it's the pediatric budget. There is no such adult than pediatric budget. Ladies and gentlemen, there is only one budget. It's That's basically where the taxpayer pays into. So all these artificial things don't help. So that's number one. And so the short answer to that question is no, 100%. We don't expect anybody to be taken off it, right? Because that would be clinically negligent to do stupid stuff like that. And anybody doing that, you know, you could, if you're a clinician doing that sort of jazz, you will end up genuinely being taken to court by somebody. Because as I said, think of doing that with the child on a pacemaker and see what happens to you. So why are you doing it with the technology, which is so life-saving and everything? I mean, someone's just said in the chat, we do that to pregnant people. We give them all of the tech and stuff when they're pregnant and then we take it away from them. So, so how which, which, which tech do they take away? 
They shouldn't take them away. They give them a Dexcom G6 and then they give them a Dexcom 1. It's the blinking same thing without the connectivity. If you're taking them away, you're not following any guidelines. That's all I'm going to say. So, <laughs> you know, you don't take away anything. None of our, our pregnant patients get. So if you're taking them away, you're not following anything. I mean, how can you take them away? What, why would you take them? They've got type 1 diabetes, so they're eligible to a Dexcom 1. And when they're pregnant, they're eligible to a G6. So you shouldn't be taking them away. So whoever's put that chart, wherever you're think, working, you need to look at your rules again. I think it's also because like we worry about giving it to people who are perhaps not engaged as much with their diabetes and they're not bolusing maybe or they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And a lot of the criteria, you know, they have to have done education course, they have to have done all this stuff to be able to get the pump in the first place. But actually I was watching a talk last week or whenever it was at ATTD um, where they were showing, giving it to people who are maybe not as engaged as, you know, whatever that means. <laughs> um, and it works really well for those people because of the automation because of that and I just I, yeah I just want to I just want to say this as well my son has type 1 diabetes and he is a 15 year old boy and bonusing for food is not on his priority list that you know basketball computer games eating that they're his priorities and bonusing for food is not his priority but he's on a closed loop and it has massively made a difference to his HbA1c is now 52 which is you know unheard of in a 15 year old who doesn't bonus <laughs> so you know i think we should give it to everyone <laughs> i'm biased yes I, I, jasmine it's obviously um well, it's coming to an end now it's t1de week eating disorder week for type ones and that's a massive point so i personally before i got closed loop was not engaged with my diabetes and i quite like the word engaged because it makes you think you it's like another person and you just don't want to talk to them um and this changed all of that. So there's that kind of argument of there's, oh, there's so much talk on my chat at the moment about, yeah, but what about pregnant people getting it? And like Partha said, then they, they shouldn't be losing it. And there's so much criteria. And I completely agree with Partha is at the end of the day, there are going to be people that need this first because it's going to have long-term saving goals. And that's what I think the DSM people should be thinking. You guys should be thinking, okay, in the long term, this is going to really benefit our job satisfaction as well. Um, but it's going to be more of a mental health ride now uh, on that point. But we have seen as like, is it because it's a novelty factor? Did you find that, Yasmin? So did you, when you first have it with it, like, oh my God, it's a new shiny toy, which we kind of have seen a little bit with the Libre and like we yeah. give them a new shiny toy, they're very much engaged. After a while, it kind of waned off and we have the same sort of thing going on. So do you feel like that might be something that happens or? 100%. It happened to me with Libra. My nanny um, self-funded Libra for me. Um, and then it was a shiny toy. And oh my God, this is amazing. And then all of a sudden you're like data overload. Mm. And like I say, diabetes, you're the best scientists in the world, guys. If you've got diabetes, <laughs> trust me, you're yeah. really numbers. But it does. And that that also happens on these closed loop systems, things like that. However, though, with the closed loop system, because it does give you that boost that maybe you weren't able to get before, it makes me healthier mentally and physically. So it keeps you engaged with that person. It kind of connects you um, as a kind of metaphorical way to think about it. So yeah, you definitely get that new buzz but it continues because of the way you're feeling diabetes. You can never, you never feel what it's doing to your insides. This gives you the opportunity to do that. Yeah. And I'm going to add, you know, which is why the nice TA, which we are working with is not going to have a criteria of don't give it to them and don't give it to them. It's not up to us to sit and judge who should and shouldn't get it. I, I hate this sort of narrative that has come around in the NHS with diabetes, right? Um, you don't live their lives. You put everything on the table that the guidelines offer, and then you see how it goes. And so there are so many patients who try the Libra, come off it, take a break, try again, go back again. They're all part of standard care. So that's the way to look at it. So I think to the questions, I think that that's sort of thing that we need to make. And of course, you know, closed loops, we need to be make sure that we're giving them something that is safe. If you're worried about safety, that's a different matter altogether. Then you work to see 
what else is going on in their lives, which is causing the safety factor that they can't maintain the technology. So I think there are all those things in the mix, I would say. Cool. Tamsin had a question over here. Yeah, I, I mean, so I mean, think talking about the fact that um, you know people have said on on hybrid closed loops the HB one Cs have been better than um, they've ever been, and obviously potentially dropping you know reasonably significantly. Um, was there any worry about obviously retinopathy, or do we avoid it in people that maybe have active retinopathy if the HB one C is going to be dropped rapidly? Nope. Uh, what you do is you keep an eye on things. You know it's a risk factor. You you organize retinal scans as you may be worried about it, right? It's no different to us doing it in type 2 diabetes when you're using a drug and you go, okay, this might work like an absolute bomb. What do we do? It's not different, right? So I think you need to have those sort of safety markers there as you go along. So um, from my point of view, you know, we have had population level change in the adults and pediatric pop uh, across the board for the first time in 10, 15 years. And that's happened because we have rolled out sensors everywhere, right? People just have, and that's brought amazing changes in A1C. So it didn't happen in the closed loop pilots. Uh, and we've kept an eye on them. They're doing okay. So yeah, that would be the usual things that we would say, as you would do with anybody whose HbA1c might improve dramatically. Mm -hmm. Becky's probably uh, about to comment, I would imagine. <laughs> Becky, yeah, Queen of Eyes, let's, let's see what she says. <laughs> um, so do we have any more questions on the forum? On the yes, yes, yeah, there was one comment really, well, I suppose it is a question. Has the messaging that closed loops are the answer to everything been harmful in terms of potentially damaging relationships with teams? So I guess between... Uh, possibly patients and teams and setting unrealistic expectations and I suppose there was another little comment there actually from Amanda about how and I think kind of Yasmin touched on it that it can be quite difficult to let the technology do the work when obviously you've been so used to you know making hundreds and hundreds of decisions and sometimes people are striving for that very kind of micromanagement trying to get that you know perfect line that your glucose levels are always always within that target range so I suppose yeah that was just one of the comments that had come through yes I mean what are straight lines for straight lines are for dead people <laughs> so uh I think let me answer the question so I think first of all when people with that question is that do you think the messaging that closed loops are the answer for everything I'm not quite sure that anybody in the NHS circuit has said that Right. If you read it from the media, you might as well believe that immigrants are the reason that NHS are failing. Right. So it depends as to what you read and what you want to believe. So that's that. That's the media. And that's your own bias and what you want to think about. Uh, as regards the messaging, the messaging has been quite clear. It's an option on the table. It's the next best thing available. After this will come the you know, the one which isn't the hybrid, which is more automated, that will be the next thing. And hopefully someday there'll be, you know, immunotherapy or whatever be the case, you know, it's the, but the point I always say, it's the next best thing available, right? And we should make it available to people, whether it's the hybrid closed loop or whether it's whatever it is. So that's the sort of discussion to be had. Now, as regards relationship with the patients, I think when you're giving it out, you need to set your expectations accordingly as to what it does and doesn't do, as we all do when we're giving out sensors. Do we say to them that, well, that's it. You never have to check your blood glucose ever again because it's so good, it never fails. Do we do that? We don't do that. We always say, look, if it doesn't match with how you're feeling, double check it, you know? You know, sensors, they are, they are technology. So I think I, I would be surprised if anybody from the NHS has given that message. And my message has been very, very crystal clear, which is it's the next step of evolution. That's the science which is available. And if you then look into where we are, uh, let's not forget our own privilege, right? You know, we, we are a country which has nearly got 90%, 85% of people on sensors. And we're now talking about matching it up with closed loops while lots of parts of the world uh, don't have insulin. So steady as she goes, I would say. But the message certainly isn't that this is the cure for everything. The message is it's the next step which we're trying to make available. I hope yeah. in my messaging with that as well is I've always said every time I talk about closing, diabetes is individualized. It's the only disease where not one single person is on the same medicine regime. Mm. It's the only disease that has that. 
There's a hashtag, yeah. isn't there? Your diabetes may vary, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so to say that this is the answer, first of all, you're not grasping diabetes as a disease because there will be no answer for every single person that is exactly the same. For me, it's changed my life. Like I said, some people love their pens, get on with it amazingly. Don't fix what isn't broken. Yeah, great. I think that message maybe just that, like we said, from that social media bubble, it's all the people that are usually heavily involved with social media will will potentially paint the picture that, you know, looping is the answer. And as we said, I don't close loop on holiday. I did last year just to see how I got on. And I will not do it this year. I like to sunbathe. It is not appropriate to sit there with insulin in the sun. (laughs) So I will go back to pens on holiday. And I am the biggest fan of closed loop. So even in this one individual, it changes. Absolutely. Um, One of the questions as well was, Harper, um, will the pump TA be revisited anytime soon so that it becomes a combined? Uh, That's certainly what we have asked now. It makes sense. You know, we need... There are things in the TA-151, uh, it's, a, it's a different matter altogether, nobody followed it. Um, TA-151, um, which is 13 years old now, which are not in this TA, for example, disabling hypos, um, children uh, uh, ages zero to 12, there are lots of factors in there. So we have specifically, we have officially from NHS England asked NICE to look at amalgamating the TAs and making sure it makes sense that we have one rather than two different pieces yes. lying around, which can confuse people. So. I think that's, and we know that NICE takes so long, like certainly technology moves faster than NICE. <laughs> it's, it's a good opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I mean, in general, yes. But I think in fairness to NICE, I think in the diabetes world, uh, they have moved pretty sharp. I mean, I think over the last few years, their relationship with us has been phenomenal. I mean, if you look at, they are more progressive than most of the universal guidelines that are out there, right? There's not many countries which have guidelines saying flash and CGM for everybody and closed loops at this stage. I think, we, so I went to ATTD last week uh, we were pretty much the talk of town because our guideline was ahead of every other country sitting there. Well, how is this working out? So we are having a lot of interest from other countries about the dynamics of the money. So I think you're absolutely right about. But I, I think we have got Sam Roberts uh, as the chief exec of Nice, with whom we work quite closely, and she's been phenomenal. I mean, she's been brilliant about uh, getting technology moved and looking at different ways. So yeah, let's see. I think it'd be okay. important to note, though, that, that that guidance as well, Partha, there's I saw something in the chat about kind of late onset, and this guidance is covering all kind of areas of type 1. Yeah. Um, and in, maybe insulin-dependent would be, I know there's type 2s, but LADA, Modi, those people, are they included in that as well? Because I think that's a massive concern from our community. Is late onset people, things like that, they're like, where do we fit in? I think you have to get the diagnosis of type one to be eligible. Yeah. With your antibodies and everything, so to speak. And that's the honest answer. So um, it, it's the same discussion we have around sensors. How does it move out into other things? And again, you know, we, it's time. It's about giving people time and the evidence to sort of work through it and using public taxpayers' money. A lot okay. of it we don't have. Very getting close to our hour. It's gone so quickly, hasn't it? Um, there's one question I really want to read out because this absolutely is uh, coming comes from my heart as well as this lady. I can feel her. I can feel this. Uh, my son has an eating disorder. This is Michelle Mansi. So my son has an eating disorder and he struggles with his mental health. Being a boy, he doesn't open up, especially around his diabetes. To the DSM team, he looks great because mum is doing all the work. Um, but the distress it puts on us as a family is huge. But on paper, as to say, he looks like he's doing well, but it's not the real picture. How do we identify these teens that would possibly benefit from closed loop, even if, you know, mum's covering up all of the work that's going on behind the scenes to get this, this child into, into, you know, a decent range? So I think that's probably wider than what a nice TA can deliver. And I think I say this, um, people always, you know, I've done this policy role now for seven years and hopefully my last. Um, I always talk about, it doesn't matter what NICE is. It really doesn't. You know, we've done things without NICE and we'll do things without with NICE. What matters is how clinicians, so that patient you spoke about, you and I know about clinicians, right? Who would pick that up and do an amazing job with that child, right? We all know them, who they are. We also know centers where they will not be able to pick it up and do what's necessary for this child. 
I don't think there's a template for it. I think there needs to be better understanding from clinicians about what people with type 1 diabetes go through. And I say this with utmost respect to a lot of colleagues. It's, it's more than a job. And I think I always say that, that people believe they're doing a good job. Not everybody is. And that's not their fault. And it's not all about workforce either. I think you need to understand type 1 diabetes and the impact it has on lives to sort of sit there and listen. And I don't think in clinics, especially doctors, do a lot of listening. Uh, and that's a problem. Because so, and I don't think it's a nice guideline thing. It, it's about the clinician concern who has the necessary skills to pick that up. Or as you say, the angst of the mother who's struggling with everything and doesn't quite know what to do the next step, right? And that's also a reason why you see a lot of teenagers coming off pumps and closed loops because their mom and dad have done the best thing that's possible for them. All of us who are parents will know that, right? But they then get into that phase where they're independent and the rebellious phase kicks in. They want to come off the stuff. So there's a lot more to do in that space. <laughs> I think as clinicians, I would say, and I keep on saying this many, many times over about the importance of language and communication skills. And, and I'll finish with this. Communication skills, it's not just about how you speak. It's about how you listen. And I do not think we do that enough. And that, that's a fundamental problem. So all these super centers that we talk about, superstars in type one diabetes care, they don't have any special skills. They just have one thing, uh, the ability to listen. And whether it's Pratik, whether it's Emma, whether it's Alistair, you talk to their patient, Lala, just talk to their patient. They will tell you one thing about it. He listened, she listened, that's it. So I think going back to your question, I don't think it's a nice thing. It's more about clinicians learning how to do diabetes care, as funny as it sounds. Maybe you nurse colleagues could teach us consultants a bit more about that skill because patients do tell that all the time. So, yeah. Maybe uh, more psychologists in the service as well. Eh? That always comes up oh, every single yeah. one. <laughs> Let's not go there. <laughs> We've got to find all about that. So um, if, is there anything last little, the last two minutes, want to wrap round up? I want to mention quickly one thing, because I'm sure it's going to come up somewhere. It's about pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Because people will say, does that mean that people will have to get pregnant to get a closed loop, right? Mm. Or do they pretend that they want to get pregnant so they get a closed loop? And, and then, then, and then never can't do that. The next six, seven years. <laughs> no, we can't do that. <laughs> So the que we have asked, and also there's an important, beyond the sort of, you know, jokes about it, I think the important thing here is, what do you do if somebody, if there's a woman who wants to get pregnant, gets the closed loop, gets the pregnancy, pregnancy happens, then what do we say to the woman? You lose your closed loop? These are big ethical questions, because I won't be able to do that. I can tell you that right now. I, one of my patients comes along and says, well, I'm on the closed loop, shall I? And I'm just going to say, no, no, carry on. But I can do that because I'm part of the car. In Portsmouth, and everybody's going to go like, oh, okay, then, oh my God, right, carry on. But everybody's not in the privileged position I am in. Okay. So that's an ethical question which we have asked NICE to clarify. What do we do at that point of time? Because they may not fit the criteria anymore. So what do we do now? So watch this space. There's a lot of conversations going on in this space as well. And there's some really powerful data coming out from Helen Murphy's team, which should help us. So let's see how we go with that. Cool. One final question. Do you know when we can expect the actual TA to be published? Yeah, um, hopefully we are aiming for May. So it gives oh, us time, yeah, hopefully. And I would like to, I've already stated to everybody concerned, we would like to roll from Q3 uh, in financial year, which in simple plain terms means October. Mm. September, October is my start date. So that's my target. Um, and I've made it very clear to all teams concerned. That's the start date to go for. Um, and people always go, why, why can't it happen right now? I mean, come on, January is when they published it. Well, there's a reason for it. Once NICE publishes their document, there is a three-month timeline where we have to deliver it legally. That, that's what the strength and the negative thing of a TA. We, and to everybody with type 1 diabetes listening, we're not deliberating, we are not delaying the process. There are two or three things that we are doing. One, we're negotiating with companies the price. Two, we're talking to teams about workforce. Three, we need a delivery plan, i.e., how do these left hamsons, how do you order the blinking system, right? 
we need to get this in place from October onwards. So, we, so that's the time we need to get there. So it's not going to take years to get there. So hopefully we should kickstart this year. Right, our time is up. We're actually over time. So Yasmin, final words from you and then we'll all say goodbye. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you, thank you, thank you, first of all. Um, I think the DSN, all of you out there, um, will definitely be driving the, the support for this. Um, and all I want to say from the patient perspective is, yeah, short term, there might be a bit more education, but long term, the nitty and gritty really is going to be decreased. We've got 400,000 patients. I mean, not all of them are even going to be wanting this, but for the DSN team to kind of support us, and I've had fantastic care, shout out to Bournemouth Hospital, um, to the fact that I've moved to London and still not even moved my care. Um, it is going to be you guys that kind of drive the support and the mental well-being of this and can't thank you enough. I think, yeah, DSNs are the, the drivers of everything diabetes. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's been absolutely wonderful. We've, we've, I think we've had so many people watching online, so many comments, so many people uh, of us said they're going to come and watch this later. Um, so I think it's really, really, really good thing um, to have you here today. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Partha, as always, for, for speaking with us. Um, and I think it's time to say goodbye. So bye, everybody.